From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and our guest today is Reed Carr. Reed is an IMB missionary serving in Europe. He and his family live and serve in Rome, Italy. And I have appreciated and prayed for Reed's work for many years, and I'm excited for you to hear from him today. Reed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Paul, for having me. It's an honor to be a part of this. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you, excited for the conversation. I, I wanted to start by just letting you share with our audience your testimony. It's always good to hear how people came to faith in Christ, and so tell us how God saved you. I grew up in a Christian home. I had the blessing and opportunity to be raised by a Christian dad and a Christian mom who taught me what it meant to live our lives, to live my life for the Lord. My dad was took his faith very seriously. He was a very smart man. He was in a civil engineer, but was also, I remember from my very young days, a bivocational pastor. And so on the side, he would lead a very tiny Methodist church. I grew up in a Methodist home, going to Methodist churches, but my dad was a very godly man. And I remember very clearly when I was five years old, I don't really remember anything from when I was five, but I remember kneeling next to my bed with my dad, uh, as a bunk beds, praying to, to ask Christ to come into my life and to, to save me and, and be my savior. And I can still kind of remember reflecting on even laying there in the bed. I don't remember if it was that evening or some other time of the significance of what Christ did for me. Five years old is pretty young. I went to the University of Georgia, and, but probably wasn't until my later 20s that the uh, Lord started to open my eyes to, to some truths about the importance of being part of the church and uh, what that means for a believer I grew up in a, in a Christian home, I made a profession of faith at a very young age, had ups and downs, probably in my mid-20s to later 20s, started to take my faith more seriously, and more persistently. My dad passed away when I was 16 from a um, brain tumor. So there was that absence at, at one point of a kind of a spiritual guide in my life. My mom did a very great job in trying to raise six kids in, in his absence, but he was he was certainly instrumental in pointing me towards a cross. And he always had, a, he would always sign birthday cards or his saying was, keep your eyes on Jesus. So <laughs> that's pretty good advice. You know, I've tried to do that best I can. And that kind of leads me to the next question. You know, I mentioned in the very beginning that you live and serve in Rome, Italy, and that doesn't just happen by accident. And so would love for you to kind of share that story. How did you get from University of Georgia to Rome, Italy? I came out of the University of Georgia with a degree in history, which was pretty worthless at the time. <laughs> Couldn't really find a job. So for a couple of years, I traveled around, did some things. I went to Venezuela and taught English. I went out to live with a friend who lived in California and see what was going on out there, but came back and went back to the University of Georgia to get a master's in education to become a teacher. And so I was, for a short period of time, I was a high school teacher and also a coach. I was dating the girl that I would come to marry. And so just through a conversation with my pastor at the time, just kind of asking questions about, I'm not exactly sure what to do. He had suggested that I think about seminary. 
and it was really from that conversation that birthed the trip to Louisville to visit Southern Seminary. I, I couldn't have told you one, the name of one seminary probably at the time. And so uh, it was this pastor who suggested Louisville. I was on a road trip out west and scheduled Louisville into the uh, road trip and stayed there for a night, visited the campus. And it was that summer that I actually got engaged to my girlfriend, obviously, who had become my wife. We went back to Georgia, worked with this church for about 10 months. As an, I was an interim youth pastor. The current youth pastor had moved up to university ministry. They needed to fill a, a hole. And, and so we were there for 10 months with the idea, though, that we would be going to Southern. And this would have been, I suppose, the fall of 2007. I couldn't even have told you what I was going to study when I went there. I didn't have a clear idea. I liked apologetics at the time, really enjoyed reading apologetics and thought, well, maybe I'll study that and maybe I could teach it. But it was in the application process where I saw a degree option for international church planning. And it piqued my interest. I mean, so my new wife and I talked about it and she was really excited about the prospect. She had actually studied. She also went to the University of Georgia and had a degree in Italian and uh, comparative literature. So the summer where I was out in Idaho, she was in Italy working with a, a team with the International Mission Board, just kind of trying to use her Italian that she had acquired at, at Georgia. And so, you know, once you kind of decide on a degree track with international church planning, at some point you have to ask the question, well, where would we do that? Some seminaries kind of have that already, that question already answered for you. Southern gave you the opportunity to, to work with the IMB to decide where that would be. And so just really literally the, the first natural thought was, well, my wife had contacts with a team in Italy and through a series of doors very clearly being opened and other ones very clearly being closed, it became clear that the Lord was leading us to Rome. That's awesome. And so what year did you guys land in Rome, Italy? October, 2009. Okay. October, 2009, you and your wife. And then I know the Lord was kind and, and blessed you with some children later. And so I want to fast forward from 2009 mm -hmm. to 2015. That's really when I first came to hear about you and, and begin praying for you and for your work. You and your family endured some hardship, significant loss in 2015. Can you share with us a little bit about, about what happened there? August of 2015, we had been in the States for a short stateside. Basically, it was a two-month one, very quick. And we were literally about, I think it was the night before we were to fly back to, to Italy to return back to ministry. We had gone out to dinner with my wife's family and had gone then to get some yogurt at one of those, you know, the yogurt places where you put the toppings on and stuff. And kids love those. We don't have those here. So we were driving home from there. It was myself and my wife and two of our daughters in the, in the backseat of a double cab pickup truck. And as we were driving up uh, Highway 41 in North Georgia, which a lot of people may be familiar with, just kind of this freak accident where a truck driver had gotten out of his truck to do a final inspection before hitting the road to take a load of chemicals up to West Virginia, I believe, was his destination. But he had been under the influence of some prescription drugs for various medical issues. And as he jumped out of the car, he didn't set the parking brake on the truck. And so the truck just started rolling. And the way that they had organized the loading dock there, it was perpendicular to the highway and just rolled down the loading ramp and T-boned us on Highway 41. So a, a driverless, fully loaded 18-wheeler T-boned us and pushed us around, across four lanes of traffic, I suppose. And we were finished at the in the guardrail 
on the other side, which in the end, according to people who examined the scene said probably saved all of our lives because there was a steep embankment on the other side of that, which we had rolled down. But my wife was killed on impact. And then we were in the car for about two hours until they could extract us. Fortunately, my, our oldest daughter had driven home with her, with the grandparents. So the other two were in, were in car seats, which really probably saved their lives as well. But obviously that was, you know, I can still remember that night sitting there in the car, just waiting to get extracted and, trying to comprehend what that meant and what was going on because I knew I knew what had happened to my wife. In fact, some rest some people who had driven up on the scene came in and tried to assess the situation. Actually able to get one of my daughters out of the car who had broken her leg. And they were the ones who told me that she didn't make it, although I had a strong suspicion that that was the case. Miraculously, who knows why? I mean, I, I was taken down to a hospital, released that evening, a few scratches and bruises and my other two daughters had some stitches and broken bones but you know were, were released from the hospital the next day but then you kind of try to piece together life and what does this mean uh, i was in late 30s but had three little girls six four and two at the time and so you know the thought of going back to italy in those days after the accident were far from me and and didn't seem like that was going to be a possibility and trying to think about what life was going to look like without my wife and without going back to Italy. But it was our pastor and my ministry partner here who came to preach at her funeral together with another one of our church members. And I remember him saying, you know, in a very delicate way, understanding the, <laughs> the complexities of the situation, but just encouraged me not to give up on Italy yet. Maybe the Lord's not done with you there. And, but to make a long story short, the Lord confirmed, uh, you know, over the next month or so that we're going to make this happen. And this is where I want you to be. I took a trip back to Rome to talk with my ministry partners there to say, Hey, look, here's the situation. Is this something we want to do? Is this something the Lord's leading us to, to do? It'll, it'll take a lot of teamwork to, to help me out here, especially in the beginning, Just speaking regularly with my wife's family about the idea, the church, how a lot of people praying for us. And it was really amazing to see a unanimous affirmation of the Lord calling us back to Italy, despite the obvious hurdles to overcome. Even Kyra, which is my, was my wife's name, her family was very supportive. I'm sure that was extremely hard for them. You lose your daughter, but maybe at least gain your granddaughters coming back. But, you know, we all got on a plane to go back. And I've had many occasions to, to speak about it since. And even now, having been remarried for a little over two years, I don't know how, how I did that. I mean, his only explanation you give is the Lord really does equip you with extra abilities and extra measures of grace to overcome situations that he puts you in and, and calls you to, you know, and it was tough, but the Lord really provided in, in amazing ways. And, and even now I'll look back and be like, I can, if I haven't again, I couldn't do that. But, you know, you do what the Lord calls you to do. Amen. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, just the, the Lord's grace in your life. And I would love for you just maybe briefly to kind of give us, you know, that update as we come upon, you know, soon, six years to what you just described, kind of the Lord's grace in your life. You mentioned that, that you remarried a few years ago. Could you tell us just briefly about your family and what it looks like today, ages of kids and all those things? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, the girls were six, four, and two when, um, when Kyra passed, and it was probably about four years that it was just the four of us, and the Lord uh, 
provided the answers to a lot of people's prayers. I know who were probably wondering like, how's this guy doing this or this just can't be good for <laughs> girls or they need a mom or, you know, who knows, but it was a colleague of mine with the IMB who tenderly, I suppose, brought up the subject of, Hey, I might know somebody that you might be interested in and, and vice versa. She was working with the IMB as well in Greece at the time and had already served in, in Serbia with the IMB and then in Hawaii with the, with actually the uh, FCA. I reached out to her through WhatsApp at first and started a conversation and we spoke on the phone. And then we actually met in a different part of Italy for the first time. And that went really well. And after that went well, we, I think we saw each other one more time. And then we brought her over to Rome to meet the girls and the people I worked with, my ministry partners, and just to see how that went. You know, that was a big trip and a big deal. And and it all went really well. You know, I had, I was asking my ministry partners what they thought. I didn't see any red flags that maybe I'm not seeing or anything like that and had them praying about it. And again, it was another situation was where everyone was very affirmative about it. And then there's also the aspect of at some point, once you realize it's getting serious, notifying also my previous wife's family who we were still close with, you know, and obviously they're the grandparents to my girls and, and they were very accepting and, and affirming as well. And her name is Stephanie, but she goes by Steppy. We started speaking in May of 2017, no, 18, I'm sorry, and then got married in November of the same year. And then shortly after that, I was in 2019, she became pregnant. We had a son in March 20th of 2020. So I never thought I was going to have a son. So that was pretty amazing to, you know, I still look at him sometimes. He's a little over a year and be like, I can't believe <laughs> I have a son and he's a, he, he's Philip Reed Carr, the fifth, because I was a fourth and I always wanted to have a fifth, but I had figured that the Lord had closed that door and I was fine with that. But um, he's a fifth. We call him Kip for short, but the girls now are, you know, the oldest is 12. So she's becoming a young lady, 12, 10, eight, and then almost one and a half. So the Lord has been very good and Steppy has been amazing and it's such a tremendous blessing to me and also to the girls. Well, praise the Lord. I appreciate you sharing kind of what the Lord's been doing in your life and in your family's life over these last six, seven years. I mean, obviously, not the way that, that anyone would, would draw it up, but at the same time, recognizing the Lord's goodness in all of that. And so appreciate you sharing. I want to kind of transition a little bit now to talk a little bit more about Italy, about Rome. I want to hear first about the state of the church. And when I talk about the state of the church, I'm talking more about the evangelical church. Is there a church presence in Rome, an evangelical church presence, and what does that look like? There is an evangelical church presence in Italy in general, with a country of approximately 60 million people. The best estimates are that 1% are evangelical, and that's only high end for sure. That would include also evangelical churches, uh, Brazilian churches or South American churches or Chinese churches that actually have quite a, a good presence in Italy, considering the numbers. So lo- less than 1% evangelical. Rome would be very accurate to those statistics. You have a kind of a vast array of evangelical expressions. The Assemblies of God have the most churches in Italy. They would be concentrated most in the south and decrease in number as you move north. The church uh, network I'm part of is a Reformed Baptist church network of Baptist churches that have about 13 throughout Italy. We have three in Rome. We have good relationship with the other evangelical pastors. We meet, try to meet quarterly to just pray for each other, talk about our experiences. So there, there is definitely a church presence. 
again, less than 1%, but uh, the Assemblies of God having the most, a lot of Pentecostal churches and Rome is very, very reflective of, of, those, of those percentages. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Okay, yeah, that's helpful just to give us a little bit of context there. Obviously, you know, with the Vatican and this kind of being ground zero for Roman Catholicism, maybe talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges of reaching people immersed in Roman Catholicism. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church here with Vatican just down the street is an imposing presence. It still amazes me to see how Roman Catholicism literally impacts every aspect of culture in Italy, whether it's secular or, or religious. Uh, Roman Catholicism and it's the worldview that it, it presents is, is present and active and everything, in every aspect of life, from family to what business is done, certainly uh, religiously. And, you know, when you come in as an evangelical church, a very uh, minority, it presents tremendous challenges. Thinking from an evangelical perspective and sharing the gospel with people, one of the biggest challenges is the, the similar vocabulary that we share. We have the same words, but the problem is, is that the meanings and the definitions that are tied to those words are entirely different. So where both Roman Catholicism and, of course, the evangelical church talk about the cross, they talk about salvation, they talk about grace, they talk about redemption, they talk about sin, the understanding of those is, is entirely different. But it's very difficult to communicate that, you know, unless you have months and months or, or a year, someone may be exposed to, to preaching in church every, every Sunday. But oftentimes you don't have that luxury of having exposure to someone for a lot of time. Another aspect that's very difficult is modern day Roman Catholicism has produced a very humanistic mindset amongst Italians. This idea that I know I'm not perfect, but it's not, I'm really not so bad. And so the ability of man to kind of solve his own problems and self-diagnose and also self-cure. You've heard the, the adage that it's really hard to tell someone who's to go to the hospital, to go to the doctor if they don't think they're, if they're sick. And that's applies very, very much to, to the situation here. The context, the culture is that people don't really see themselves spiritually needy or spiritually sick in need of someone to save them from their sins. It's uh, a very works-based approach to dealing with that, a checklist of, of things to go through to kind of put you where you need to be or make it good enough. So the combination of, of a similar vocabulary, very, almost identical vocabulary, but with very different words attached to that, or definitions attached to that, and, and a mentality of people who 
are fine with the way things are and, and a humanistic approach to understanding the reality makes it a very, very challenging place to, to do ministry. And, it's, and that's reflected in the number of baptisms we see, the number of people that we see come to know the Lord. It's a tough place to stay positive and, and encouraging. You know, the Lord does work and, and does save people. That's helpful background. I'd love for you to share, you know, you're there in a, in a pretty famous, well-known city, lots of people coming in and out. Obviously, religion of various sorts has been a, a big part of this city for hundreds, thousands of years. I would love for you to share with us, what do you think it takes to do faithful ministry in urban cities like Rome? Well, it takes patience for sure riding it out through through the tough times through through the months and months of not seeing someone and sometimes years of not seeing people come to know the lord and rejection after rejection or someone who comes to church you work really hard you someone comes into church which is a huge deal but then they never come back <laughs> but it also takes of course really understanding the context in which you're doing ministry uh, i've learned so much from my ministry partner the same one who came to to preach at my first wife's funeral his name is leonardo de Chirico. He's a brilliant man, a humble man, a godly man, and has done so much for the evangelical church and continues to do so here in Italy. And he taught me and and many others how to and the importance of identifying idols in a city. Uh, You know, every city has its unique history. Rome, certainly uh, having its unique city history, as you well mentioned, a history that dates back thousands and thousands of years. But every urban center, every city will have its idols at which shape the the worldview and the mentality of of the people who live there the way they answer the big questions in life he identified kind of just his years here in rome and, and looking at it from that perspective he, he identified three idols that really impacted rome and, and its people and one was uh, you may be familiar with the term la dolce vita which is the sweet life and then i'll go through the other two and, and come back and touch on them one is also called another term you may be familiar with through history is pax romana the roman peace and the third one is a term that you may not be familiar with, but it's il palazzo, which is the basically the building. But you know, Rome is is very known for its architecture. It's known for its history. This Roman peace that was guaranteed by the empire as long as you operated according to its uh, <laughs> according to its laws. Otherwise, you were faced the penalties and consequences of that. So it was a, a very superficial Pax Romana. You know the. Uh, was only on certain conditions and only on certain terms. Otherwise, you wouldn't. You could not benefit from it. Certainly, La Dolce Vita. You come here. You go downtown. It's a very beautiful city. It's got great food. You walk around and see the Colosseum, the the Pantheon, the Trevi Fountain. Thousands of different little alleys to explore. Tons of gelaterias to go to. Tons of great restaurants. So superficially, it's a very sweet life. There was actually a movie that won the best foreign film a few years ago. I can't remember what year it was, but it's called La Grande Bellezza. It captured perfectly this idea. It was this, these older retired people who one of them had a, a dream house type apartment that overlooked the, the Coliseum and they would throw parties all the time and really live the sweet life. But the point at the end of it was there's really, it's just superficial. It didn't fulfill anything. Of course, they didn't, they didn't come to the conclusions that we would like them to come to without how only Christ satisfies that. But, but these three idols, in a sense, have tremendously shaped Rome and, and the people who live here and how they, how they live their lives and how they think about the important things of life. So in an urban city, in an urban setting, that's extremely important to understanding the people and how you can make the gospel 
relevant to them. I mean, you think of London or Paris or Tokyo or whatever, they're going to have very different idols, but Rome and its unique history has these for sure. And that's probably others, but that's been key to, to reaching the city for sure. Obviously you've done a good job of kind of laying out <laughs> many of the challenges. And so I know challenges abound at the same time. I know it's not all, all challenges and all negative with no good news. I know the Lord yeah. is doing some good things. And so when you look back over the past two to three years, thinking about the work that's going on there in Rome, what encouraging things have you seen? How is the Lord at work in that place? We know that you know people are praying for you all around the world. So tell us some of the things that the Lord is doing. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share about these things. As you said, all the things get discouraging and wear on you. It's never accurate to say the Lord's not at work and doing things. And uh, there's always plenty to be grateful for, especially when it concerns ministry here in Rome. So I'll just share from, you know, my own experience, my own little network that I'm a part of and what the Lord's doing. A couple years ago, we got together. So with as the two churches in Rome that were kind of a part of a, a, pl- a church planning team, I suppose. When we came to Rome 2009, probably in 2010, we, we got involved with Leonardo's church, the man I spoke of earlier. And he had just moved to Rome with his family as well, literally a few months before we had, with a couple other couples from other parts of Italy to plant uh, the church Breccia di Roma, which means the breach of Rome. Sounds much better in Italian. He probably wouldn't have too many churches called that in, in English, but there's actually historical significance to it as well. In the 1870s, after the papal state fell, the Italian army came in and breached a, a hole in the wall at Porta Pia, which was a part of the Roman wall. And it was really when the first Bibles and missionaries came into Italy. Before that, reading the Bible was prohibited and forbidden, even after, up after that it was as well. But with the overthrow of the papal state in the late in the 1870s, people were able to have access to the Bible for the first time. And missionaries took advantage of it and it came in and brought God's word. And so there was, through that breach in the wall, the gospel came into Rome. So that's kind of the, the story behind Breccia di Roma, as we want to see more breaches in the city with the gospel. So... That plant church was planted in 2010. We developed a kind of a, an idea to plant a church in another neighborhood of Rome where, where I've lived the entire time. It's called San Paolo, uh, named after St. Paul. And that took a long time to, to materialize, but God was faithful. And in September of 2018, Breccia di Roma San Paolo was planted, and I was part of that church planting team. And shortly after that, probably the, the Breccia di Roma, which is la- located downtown, right in the historic center of, of downtown. In fact, at the end of 2015, we purchased a property in the city limits down there in Rome. It was the first time an evangelical association had purchased property in the historical city of Rome in almost 100 years. So that was a huge answer to prayer. But our two churches came together in a retreat and kind of put together a, a vision for the next 10 years from 2020 to 2030 and what we wanted to see God accomplish and, and work towards. And part of that vision was planting three more churches in the city of Rome. Another part of it was seeing more people attend our theological academy or institute. But the, the main part that I wanted to share about right now was the, the church planning aspect of it. And just this past year, we actually launched the, uh, the idea of planting a, a third church of, uh, of the Breccia churches in a part of the city called, it's a neighborhood called Triomphale, which is literally in the shadow of the Vatican. Like most parts of the neighborhood, you're walking down the street, you can look and see the, the cupola of St. Peter's 
So it's a very strategic part of the city. It's a long story of kind of how that came together. I won't, I won't go into that now, but it's been extremely exciting to see this vision unfold and the Lord providing in ways. Actually, my family and I will be moving to that neighborhood to be a part of that church planning project. In fact, August 2nd, we'll be moving. And so we're, we're leaving Sao Paulo. It'll be the first time I've lived somewhere other than Sao Paulo since uh, moving here in 2009. So that's a big deal. Girls will begin into new schools, but we're excited for the, the reason. There's another, the other church downtown is sending a, a young couple, a young family from there who will join us in that church planning project. That's just in our little network. You know, the Lord is at work elsewhere also, but we're really thankful to see the Lord already responding to uh, the first church plant of that vision. So it puts us right on schedule, <laughs> you know, who knows, it'll be ambitious and to plan another two before 2030, but that's the reality here. And the Lord's been faithful so far. And so those are some things that we celebrate and are, are and see how the Lord is working. Man, that's awesome. I love hearing about, about all of that and really excited. And we'll be praying for the church plant and that strategic part, especially for you guys, as you prepare to move and get settled in there, get the kids settled into new schools and yeah, excited to see what the Lord's going to do in and through that. I wanted to ask you another question. You mentioned early on about attending Southern Seminary, kind of 2007, I guess, to 2009 or so. Mm-hmm. I was doing some research the other day and, and saw that Southern sent a graduate to Italy back in 1880, a man by the name of John H. Eager. And so here I am now, many, many years removed from that, but talking to another graduate that the Lord and his providence sent to Rome, Italy. And so we'd just love to hear you share briefly, how did did Southern help prepare you for the work that you're doing there in Rome? Well, it's probably safe to say, you know, the Lord's sovereign, he, he gets his will done, but very well may not be here had the Lord not called us to Southern Seminary. I mean, it was there that got interested in international church planning, although, you know, reflecting on myself then, you know, <laughs> I knew nothing about what that meant or what it would take to do that. But the Lord put that desire in mine and my wife's heart at that time. And, and for two years there, we were involved in local church, uh, got the, the theological education we needed to, to come here. And I can think of the friendships I made there that would have been important to me in, in the years since then. Of course, of course, there's a theological education that is crucial, but the friendships too, and, and the experience at the local church and, and all that. But I, it's probably safe to say that we wouldn't, I wouldn't be here had it not been the Lord calling us to Southern in, in those two years there and the, and the friendships that we made. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. This next question, as, as we're getting closer towards the end, I want to ask is, is a question I ask Everybody that I interview, it's a little bit more of a personal type question, but with you having shared kind of many of the ups and downs of your work there in Italy, both the ministry side, but also the family side, I want to ask you this question, Reed. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you in that place and why are you giving your life to this work? That's a really really good question. I think the answer to that question, honestly, is the church. I think it's the church that, that keeps me here. As I reflect on myself in 2009, I didn't have, and for the most of my life prior to that, I didn't have the type of, of appreciation and understanding of the church that I, I wish I did and that I would encourage others to do because I've said it a, a thousand times too that 
you know, had it not been for, for example, the the church here, certainly wouldn't be back and would have never come back to Italy after my, my first wife's passing. And I just realized in these years, the importance of belonging to a church, being committed to the church, the importance that the body of Christ plays in, in who we become and, and what kind of men and women we are, how the Lord has used the church here to make me the person that I am, obviously have a lot <laughs> to learn and, and to grow, but I wouldn't be who I am today had it not been for the Lord opening my eyes to to the importance of the church. And, I, and I'm thankful too for putting someone in my life like Leonardo who really helped me to develop a healthy ecclesiology in a sense. Uh, I remember having conversations when I was here early in my years here in Rome and couldn't articulate with some conversations with other colleagues, you know, what was a church? Why was it important? Why do we need to be a part of a local church? And that kind of makes me sad, but I'm thankful that the Lord has opened my eyes to that and taught me the importance of, of loving his body. And it's got all of its warts and there's not a perfect one there. I think Billy Graham was a set, one's the one who said that, you know, go find the perfect church, but as soon as you join, it'll cease to be perfect. So <laughs> it doesn't exist. That's probably, that's kept me here and kept me focused on the goal. It's made it possible to be part of two church plants already and about to be a third, which is tremendously rewarding. Obviously the, the glory goes to God for that, but it's really neat to be a part of that and, and a place where not many churches are planted, not to say there aren't any, of course, but that's been just probably the, the thing I reflect on most in these years of what the Lord's taught me about the body. Amen. All right, last question. What is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? Another thing that's also very dear to my heart is understanding the importance of the evangelical church to also to understand Roman Catholicism. We actually have a ministry here called the Reformanda Initiative that helps train the evangelical church on to better understand Roman Catholic theology and practice. Leonardo started it. He actually would get invited to speak around a lot of different places in Europe on the subject of Roman Catholicism. He uh, did his PhD at King's College in London on aspects of Roman Catholicism from an evangelical perspective. And so he's also just a brilliant man. I mean, I know I'm biased, but he's extremely gifted. He's very articulate, very intelligent. And so he would go around and speak on certain aspects of Roman Catholicism and people were just blown away by it. It's like, I didn't know that. I just, we need to, we need more people to know that. And so he'd get invited. He, he looked into, you know, are there any global initiatives that are addressing this, this blind spot? And there really wasn't anything. So he started the Reformand Initiative and I'm part of his team. And it's been really, really interesting to, to learn and to dive deep into Roman Catholicism. Again, when I reflect on myself 10 years, 12 years ago now, I mean, I didn't know anything. You know, here I came as a church planner to Rome and didn't know anything about Roman Catholicism. But the thing I'm understanding is that's very common. It's very common. And it can be very detrimental to the way we, we do ministry and church planning. So it's definitely a blind spot in the evangelical church. But especially if you're a church leader, and I know there's different parts of the country where it's, a, it's more of a reality than others, but having a good understanding of, of Roman Catholicism. <laughs> That's great. Reed, thank you so much uh, for your time today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Reed. Please pray for him, for his family, for this new church plant and his work there in Rome. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.